you've no doubt heard about the power of meditation. If you've listened to this podcast for any period of time, you also know that I am a meditation dropout. I just can't seem to create a meditation practice, even though there are a million articles telling me it's just what I need. Welcome to episode 123 of This Shit Works, a podcast dedicated to all things networking, relationship building, and business development. I'm your host, Julie Brown, networking expert, professional speaker, and author. And today I am joined by Tom Cronin, a leading meditation master who is passionate about reducing stress and chaos in people's lives, helping them to find peace through meditation. Welcome to This Shit Works, your weekly no-nonsense guide to networking your way to more friends, more adventures, and way more success with your host, Julie Brown. Here we go. In 2011, Sarah Lazar and her team at Harvard found that mindfulness meditation can actually change the structure of the brain. Eight weeks of mindfulness-based stress reduction was found to increase cortical thickness in the hippocampus, which governs learning and memory, and in certain areas of the brain that play roles in emotion regulation and self-referential processing. There were also decreases in brain cell volume in the amygdala, which is responsible for fear, anxiety, and stress. How many of you experience fear, anxiety, or stress on a daily basis? I know that to some effect, I do every day. And I've been honest with my listeners about my anxiety breakdown in 2010, a breakdown which led me to therapy and a prescription for the antidepressant Celexa. Meditation was not discussed in my therapy. Perhaps it's because it was 2010, four years before a 2014 study at Johns Hopkins looked at the relationship between mindfulness meditation and its ability to reduce symptoms of depression, anxiety, and pain. Researcher Madhav Goyal and his team found that the effect size of meditation was moderate at 0.3, which is also the effect size for antidepressants, which makes meditation sound like a viable option or tool for lots of people. But what if you're like me? What if you've tried to meditate and you just can't seem to make a practice out of it? Or you're thinking you're doing it wrong, so you just give up and go for a run or do yoga, which is what I end up doing. Well, that's when you bring a master meditator onto your podcast to help you create a path to incorporating the benefits of meditation into your life. Tom, welcome to the podcast. It's great to be here. Thanks for inviting me along today. Where were you in your life when you discovered meditation? I'm not going to assume it wasn't something you grew up with that you discovered it. Maybe there was an impetus for it, for you to discover it. Yeah, I'd never been exposed to meditation. I grew up on a farm, went to an all-boys Catholic school, and then landed myself on a trading room floor, very much Wolf of Wall Street style in the late 80s. And so I was surrounded by big, chunky sort of blokey guys that were, you know, finance guys. And so meditation was something that had never come into my life in any way, shape or form. And when I came across meditation, I was at rock bottom. I was in one of the darkest points in my life. I was having suicidal tendencies. I was suffering anxiety, extreme panic attacks, depression, agoraphobia. That it means I couldn't leave the house. I had to take mental health leave from work. I had chronic, chronic insomnia. I'd seen psychiatrists, psychologists, 
and doctors that put me on medication. No one had ever mentioned meditation, of course. And I was really questioning whether I wanted to even exist. It was a pretty dark time in my life. And it just so happened that the universe had divinely coordinated that while I was watching TV in 1996, I remember this was 1996, so there's no internet, there's no Google, there's no search options. You know, you're just kind of trying to wing it through life back then. And uh, I was watching a documentary about a property developer that was a very successful property developer in Australia. And there was a tiny slit of that story. It's a one-hour documentary about his success and the buildings he built. He did very large high-rise buildings in Australia. And uh, there was a tiny segment that he talked about how he used this particular style of meditation, transcendental meditation. And they showed him in a suit, it was a pinstripe blue suit. And they showed him sitting in a chair, no lotus position, no mudras like that, you know, just a businessman in a chair meditating. And it was like an epiphany for me. And it was, I knew immediately that that was what was missing in my life. And it was something that I need to start to explore. And that's when I started my journey into meditation and mindfulness. So again, 1996, no internet, Hmm. reliable internet at that point. You said you started your journey into finding meditation. What did you do? Did you go to the library? Like, how did you learn meditation at that point? Yeah. So for all the young kids listening, this is going to sound really strange to them. I actually went to the front door where we have a big yellow book that was holding the front door open from blowing in the wind called the Yellow Pages. And uh, I plonked the Yellow Pages, which was at old Google. Every business is normally listed in this book. It's a huge, massive book, right? And if you wanted to get your business known in the world or accessed, you had to be in the Yellow Pages. And so I looked up M for meditation. I still distinctly, this was 26 years ago or so, I still remember going to M for meditation. I, I was scrolling down and I don't know if it's the same in America, but in Australia, if you wanted your business to be highlighted, you paid extra. Yep. And as I went down, there was all these different, you know, chakra clearing and Tibetan bowls and all sorts of meditations. And I saw in big red writing, transcendental meditation. And at that point in time, I was doing a lot of drugs. I was really into the rave scene and nightclub scene. Plus part of the industry was pretty much built on drinking and drugs. So this idea of getting out of it was really familiar in my space, which led to all the anxiety and the panic attacks and depression. But when I saw that word transcending, I kind of, it sparked something in me. It was what I'd heard in the documentary because that's what the guy was using. And I liked the sound of that. But also when I saw it written, this idea of, because to transcend means to go beyond. Okay. And this is why a lot of people struggle with meditation because a lot of the meditations won't get you to that beyond state, which is the state of stillness and silence. And so I then did something really, really wacky for a lot of the listeners. I went to the wall where we had this box on the wall, which is where I picked up the handset that started ringing around all the different uh, meditation centers because we didn't have iPhones back then. And so that was the start of my journey into just ringing up all the different centers. Hey, you know, I, I see you do this. I'd like to learn how to do it. And so I started to go to a lot of different centers and trial a lot of different meditation techniques. And that's when I learned the Transcendental Meditation and it was a, a game changer for me. How long do you think it took you to learn it? Well, this is the beautiful thing about this practice and it's why I actually gave up my almost seven-figure salary to teach this full-time is because it was so powerful and so effective. It literally changes people's lives and people pick it up in the first session or two. It's so effective because what happens is you get this sound now, if you just try and empty your mind, and this is why mindfulness meditation is not to dismiss it, it can be very challenging, that's all, because you have to apply a lot of discipline 
to get something to do what it doesn't want to do. The mind doesn't want to not think. The mind doesn't want to be still. The mind doesn't mm. want to go into silence. That's like making it redundant. And if people get their jobs put on their line, they start getting placards and rattling cages and start doing protest marches because that's what the mind doesn't want to become redundant. So when we introduce this sound, this repetition of this mantra, it becomes incredibly easy and accessible to drop into a deep state quite quickly. Most of my students will have that transcendent experience to go into deep stillness in their first weekend course that I'm teaching them, which is what happened to me as well. So how did you take the leap from, I'm going to learn how to do this, this is changing my life, I see the benefits of it, to becoming a master and a teacher? I like anything, you know, if I have never hit a golf ball and I want to become a golf professional, it's not going to happen overnight. You can have the best teacher and the best practice, but these things take time. So it's really about being patient and understanding that it's just about the journey rather than the end goal. And so for me, I learned to meditate. It was very quick in changing my life. The stress, the anxiety, the panic attacks, the depression, the insomnia, agoraphobia melted away within days and weeks. And I went back to work, went back into that job with the same clients, the same company for 16 more years. So I had a 26-year career as a broker. 10 years of that career were with anxiety, drug addictions, and chronic stress. And the other 16 were without drugs and drinking and without the stress. Admittedly, you know, some days you have some difficult days and it's pretty intense still on a trading room floor. So it's not like I was an enlightened monk straight away. But I spent another 16 years working as a broker and meditating, going on retreats, studying Eastern philosophy, traveling to India and Bali to study with teachers. But it became apparent after a long time, I took a long time, a bit slow to change sometimes. It took me quite a while before I decided, look, you know, this is very definitive that I want to do this full time now. Part of the challenge was just financially going from being a broker with a mortgage and a family of four to being a meditation teacher isn't the best um, you know, financial career move initially. <laughs> so I'm assuming in the 16 years you were a broker, hmm. that's a very high stress, long hours. How did you make sure that you had time? Did you do it every day? Like, did you have a certain time every day that you practiced your meditation every day? How did you make sure you always had room for that in your daily life? There's two big barriers that a lot of people have to meditating. One is they don't believe they have time, mm -hmm. which of course, that's just preferential treatment. And the second thing is to the things that they're allocating time to. And the second thing is that they don't think the technique's working for them. So the first thing is get a technique that you find a tangible, quantifiable difference by using it. If you don't find that it's going to have an impact, it's like you said, you know, you gave it up because you thought running and yoga was going to be more beneficial. So if you mm -hmm. don't find you're getting a tangible, quantifiable difference or benefit from whatever that activity is, we simply will drop it. So finding a technique that you can clearly recognize that it's benefiting your life very, very quickly, which is why I found and teach this technique. But secondly, when it comes to time, what I realized when the teacher said, you know, for maximum results, we recommend two sessions a day, one in the morning, one in the afternoon for 20 minutes. And I was sitting there when he said that thinking, dude, there is no way I'm going to be able to do two meditations of 20 minutes every day. I'm a busy broker. I have long days. I've got, you know, a lot of things on my plate. And so I dismissed that initially. But there was so much science and so much data supporting that this technique is going to make a huge difference in my life. And so I sat there and thought about what motivates action in life. So every person on the planet right now is doing something right now 
in the belief in some way, shape or form, it's going to add value or elevate their life in some way, shape or form. And that's someone doing crack cocaine in a ghetto downtown LA, someone doing meditation in a monastery in Tibet, someone cleaning their bathroom floor, someone going to the grocery shopping, someone going to the gym, someone watching Netflix, someone listening to Spotify. Every action is motivated in the quest to find fulfillment. It doesn't mean that they're going to find fulfillment, but that's what motivates the action. I feel better when my bathroom floor is cleaner, so I'm going to clean my bathroom floor. I feel better when there's food in my pantry, so I'll go to the grocery shops. I feel better when I pay my rent, so I'll work at the tin cannery. Now, my life was miserable. I was deeply unhappy. I was contemplating whether I even wanted to exist, and I knew something had to change. So I, my allocation of time to finding fulfillment wasn't quite getting me to that destination because I wasn't fulfilled. Mm-hmm. And so I thought about my, my allocation of time preferences, and I worked out that my day had 24 hours in it. And every hour has three portions of 20 minutes, which means there's 72 20-minute portions of pie that I'm allocating on a daily basis to finding fulfillment. So I thought, well, if I just take two of these 72 20-minute pieces of pie and I make them unconditionally allocated towards meditating, and I'll just do my own research. I'll just see if this teacher with all his scientific studies sitting on the desk are actually true. You know, Harvard, UCLA, Berkeley, Stanford University, you know, the Mayo Clinic. I'll ignore those studies and have to do my own research. And lo and behold, within just a few weeks, my research was validated. It completely changed my life. So what I suggest to people is find a new way of preferential treatment to the time allocated in your day as to the sources of fulfillment. And what we have is a world that is living predominantly in what we call outcome-oriented fulfillment which means I need an outcome, an activity or an acquisition that is going to generate some degree of fulfillment. If I get a new dress, if I get some more likes on my Instagram, if I get a pay rise at work, if someone swipes right on Tinder, I don't even know if that's the right thing to do. Do they swipe right or left? I'm not sure. I think you swipe right. I don't know. I'm too old for Tinder. (laughs) Yeah, me too. (laughs) So there's something on Tinder that's supposed to make you feel good. And so we're seeking these outcomes. We're seeking acquisitions for fulfillment. The problem with that is that A, it's inconsistent. Sometimes it's there, sometimes it's not. Even if it is there, it arose very quickly. You get Mm -hmm. fulfillment from the new dress, but that new dress won't be new forever. So the fulfillment you derive from that action or activity or acquisition will be eroded very quickly. Mm -hmm. So we don't want to rely on outcome-oriented fulfillment. What happens is, ironically, in the hunger and the chase for more fulfillment from acquisitions and outcomes, We're getting more and more tired, more and more exhausted, which means even when we get the acquisition or the experience, we can't feel fulfilled. So we've got a very wealthy world predominantly. Obviously, there's still a lot of the world that hasn't got the wonderful things that we have the privilege of having right now. But even those people that have immense levels of privilege and nice car, nice home, nice holidays, nice TV screen, nice iPhone, nice computer, the levels of unhappiness within those people is quite remarkable. And a large portion of the world are medicated Mm -hmm. just to try and be happier. And so this is the problem with this acquisition mentality and seeking fulfillment from the external world. It's so unsustainable and leading us into a deep hole. What we want to do is we want to cultivate what we call self-referred fulfillment, which is a fulfillment that arises from within. And it's a very simple process of quieting the mind, quieting the body, putting the body into deep states of rest. And increasing our levels of serotonin, oxytocin, and melatonin, the bliss chemicals, that generally just make us feel good. And it's been scientifically proven when we quieten the mind, quieten the body through meditation, these deeper styles of meditation, 
we naturally increase very gently and very subtly those levels of serotonin and oxytocin, the bliss chemicals that make us feel good. And so self-referred fulfillment is something we regulate on a daily basis through the process of putting aside some time from acquisition and actin and just going into stillness and silence. And this was phenomenal for me and why I teach this because I couldn't believe how quickly people's lives were changing when we introduced this technique into their life. So this is where I understand that this is probably going to be helpful for me. And I have a lot of stress-induced issues as people do when they run companies and whatnot and are overcommitted. But just thinking about sitting for 20 minutes, I, I number one, I didn't know there was more than one kind of meditation. Mm-hmm. I didn't know there was like meditation, meditation, and then transcendental meditation. Like, how do you even begin? If I was going to say, okay, I'm going to go home. I'm going to start today. I'm going to spend 20 minutes on trying to quiet my mind and quiet my body. Where do I start? Yeah, it's a really good question because, you know, it's one thing to talk about the water, but leading the horse to water and then showing them how to use it is really important. So the first, and I think the most effective thing you can do is to actually find a qualified teacher. We're talking about one of the most important things you'll ever do in your life, in my mind. And so to not mess around with it, not trying to wing it by yourself, not just trying to Oh, I'm going to see if I can work this one out myself. You know, enlightenment is the most essential experience that every human should experience. Enlightenment is the absolute quality of what it is to be human. That is to realize our divine nature, our inner blissfulness, our inner peacefulness. And to fall short of enlightenment is to always fall short of what it is to be human. It doesn't mean we're all going to be enlightened tomorrow. It is a process, but we're really as a human species, falling way short of what's possible for us. And this is an area that we're only just very starting to scratch the surface of. And so what I would recommend is finding a qualified teacher in your area and learning in person. So I would Google Vedic meditation, V-E-D-I-C, or transcendental meditation, primordial sound technique, the art of living. These are different organizations or different groups of people that teach a very similar style of meditation that takes you into a deeper transcendent state. And when I say transcendent, it's really important we understand there's an experience that's available to all humans that very few people are currently experiencing because of our level of distraction with the outside world. We're constantly phones, emails, family, money, businesses, looking externally into duality, which is me, the subject, experiencing ideally fulfillment from the object, which is the formal phenomenon that I'm interacting with, which of course is also the thing that's causing all your stress, anxiety, depression, and disease. So what we want to do is we want to experience something that is free from all of that. And this is what we call the fourth state. It's called Turiya, which is a beautiful Sanskrit word, meaning the state of being awake and conscious, but not thinking. Now we can all access that. It's just that we need techniques to get us into that state. And this is where certain meditations will get you there. That fourth state is beyond thinking, beyond dream state, beyond deep, unconscious, deep sleep. And we're awake, but we're not having a thought. So it's really important we start to experience this in our daily state. So we start to identify who I am without thinking, who am I without emotions. And this is when we really start to have a profound foundation, a bit like the tree. I use this analogy as the tree. So if you take a tree above the surface, the tree gets moved and affected by storms and tempests, which means it loses its sovereign state because elements are affecting it. Now, if things get really rough and that tree doesn't have a strong root base beneath the surface, the tree will topple over. And that's what's happening to a lot of us in our lives. We don't have a strong root base. 
Now, below the surface, regardless of what's going on above the surface, the root base doesn't get moved whether there's storm and tempest above. And we all have this deep root base within us, this state of turiya, the state of presence or being that is unmovable, unshakable, unruffable by life circumstances. And so you say, you know, you have a stressed life. What we have is we have a life mm-hmm. and then we have the variability of whether we relate to that, that life in a stressful way or a non-stressful way. That's the variable. The consistency of life is that it's variable and it's always going to be changing. It's always going to throw conundrums and challenges and things that we don't expect. But the real variability here is our response to circumstance. So I'll give you an analogy. If we take a four-year-old child that drops his ice cream on a hot summer's day, knowing that Nan and Pop aren't going to buy him another ice cream, that was it, you're done. Then the tantrum that ensues at that loss is absolutely gargantuan. Because in his world, that is an extreme situation. And it's such a big event for that child that the emotional upheaval and the emotional stress response to that situation, as a parent or as a grandparent, you, you kind of just think, well, that's relevant for a four-year-old. We expect nothing mm-hmm. less than that. But if an adult did the same thing and you saw a 30-year-old screaming their eyes out and stomping their feet because they dropped their ice cream, you kind of think they're a bit loony and think there's something wrong with them. And that's because we've shifted our state of consciousness and our relationship to that event has changed. And what we have is, unfortunately, still a lot of people with that four-year-old type response to a lot of life circumstances because we're very unstable and we're easily influenced and we see things in a different light than what we can see them in. And it's not that we become completely emotional numb. It's just that we stop being so drawn into the story and circumstances of life and have greater capacity to be present, be in a state of being and be, we call it Sakshi Kutashta, the silent witness, where we're just silently witnessing life in a beautiful state of awe and wonder and fascination. So your first (laughs) piece of advice (laughs) is find a qualified teacher. That means you have to commit to this. This is something that you have to realize that like anything else that if I wanted a coach, if I wanted to learn how to play tennis or if I wanted to do whatever, I would hire a coach and I would put in the the effort and the time. I know you're in Australia. Do you offer any workshops or retreats that uh, most of my listeners are in the United States? Like how would people access what you have to offer? Yeah, it's a great question. I do run retreats. I do weekend courses. I I teach a lot in person and travel around Australia teaching courses. I just had a retreat last week where people can go away for much more intense experiences, very powerful. We had Bali a couple of months ago. What I did was because when we started teaching this, there was no internet and, uh, you know, people would learn in person by looking up the yellow pages and go to their local teacher. And that's all there was. But what that did was it excluded a lot of people from the world that couldn't access these modalities. And so I was in a real conundrum because uh, I had this tradition that was taught only in one particular way for thousands of years. And then people all over the world, when the internet came and I was doing YouTube videos and Instagram and things like that, and people started saying, hey, can you teach me? And so what I did was I created an online program over 21 days where they learn this technique in a very similar way, but not exactly the same because it's not in person. Right. It's the next best option. And there's nowhere else out really that I've been able to find that was doing that. And that's partly because a lot of people wanted to maintain the tradition. They wanted to keep the authenticity of the way it's been done for thousands of years. But the world has changed and we've now got a lot more inquiry. We've got podcasts talking about this and people going, well, 
I'm anxious, I'm stressed, I'm a bit overwhelmed and I need some support. What am I supposed to do? I live in Midwest and there's just no teachers in my area because most of the teachers live in really cool places like Santa Barbara or Venice Beach or in Australia, they live in places like Bondi Beach or Paddington. And so, you know, it's um, become quite inaccessible for a lot of people around the world. So that's why I created that program. And so how can people find that online program? Um, They can go to my website and just contact me, tomcronin.com. Okay. And uh, yeah, I can definitely reach out and send them the link and they can have a look at that program. We can put it in the show notes as well. Yep. I'll put it in the show, tomcronin.com in the yeah. show notes. Before we finish. A, just oh, on that, we've got a, we can give everyone a free book as well. It's a 12-step guide to okay. reducing anxiety. So I'll give you that link after this podcast and they can just get that free book and they'll be able to find that program through that book as well. Okay. And they'll get the free book while they're there. Before we wrap up, I want to ask you about your movie because I know you had a movie on meditation come out. Can you talk to us a little bit about that movie and the stories within that movie? Yeah, so the film's called The Portal and it's all about going through that portal in meditation to free yourself of crisis and challenge and turmoil. And it was kind of inspired by my own journey of crisis and how crisis was a catalyst for transformation. And for most of us, we see crisis as something we're a victim of. Mm-hmm. But what we present in the film and what was in my life is that crisis is actually a part of an evolutionary communication system that is guiding us when we are misguided. It's a way for us when we're very stubborn and resistant to change to have change enforced upon us so we start to find a way more progressively in our life forward. And so the portal has six stories that all have crisis and they use meditation and mindfulness to expand their mind and break themselves out of the shackles and the constraints of the life they're living so they can start to find a more harmonious way forward. And that's what crisis is all about. And then we look at sort of the impending global crisis or crises that we keep going through Mm -hmm. because we're so resistant to change. And even now that we come out of COVID, we see people going back defaulting to the same patterns. Let's get wasted. Let's blow all our money in the shopping mall. Let's get back online and buy a whole bunch of new things that we don't need. And so we're really missing a lot of the guidance that we're getting in our life to live a very different life. And how can people access that movie? How can they watch that movie? They can go to the website, entertheportal.com. Okay. And they can also find it on my website, tomcronin.com. And a good way for people to find me is on Instagram. I'm most active there. So they can just reach out and message me anytime. I'm, I respond to all my messages and I uh, like to hear from my audience and communicate with them. So they're more than welcome to find me at Tom Cronin on Instagram. Okay. I can put a link to that in the show notes as well. Yeah, cool. This was great. Thanks so much for coming on and talking to us about this. Well, it's been great chatting. It's always wonderful to share space with someone like yourself. Thanks. So what did you think about Tom, his journey and the lessons he told about the power of meditation? Still not sure? Yeah, neither was I, but I want to be completely honest with you. At the time of the recording of this interview, I was in a shit storm. I had recently lost a friend to cancer. My dog was fighting his battle against cancer, and I was facing my most intense speaking schedule of my career. I wasn't sleeping, and I was having consistent panic attacks in the middle of the night and also during the day. I was literally overwhelmed by my external life. So I decided to take the plunge and sign up for Tom's 21-day course. I decided I would start on October 30th. I chose this date because it gave me a solid nine days at home to practice before I headed out for another round of speaking gigs in which I was going to have to find the time to meditate on the road. So what happened in those 21 days? 
Was I a meditation dropout again or did I stick with it? Did I notice any change or did I come to the conclusion that this is all a bunch of horseshit? Well, tune into next week's episode where I talk about my 21 days of trying to create a meditation practice in my life. Now, on to the drink of the week. Since Tom's 21-day course is called 21 Days to Faster, Deeper Bliss, and that's the journey I'm about to take, I have picked a cocktail simply called Bliss. Here's what you are going to need. One part light rum, one part white vermouth, one part lemon juice, and a half a part of vanilla simple syrup. Shake all ingredients with ice and strain into a chilled cocktail or coupe glass. Squeeze a lemon twist over the drink and use that twist for the garnish as well. All right, friends, that's all for this week. If you like what you heard today, please leave a review and subscribe to the podcast. Also, please remember to share the podcast to help it reach a larger audience. If you want more Julie Brown, you can find my book, This Shit Works, on Amazon or Barnes & Noble. You can find me on LinkedIn at JulieBrownBD. Just let me know where you found me when you reach out. I am Julie Brown underscore BD on the Instagram, or you can just pop over to my website, juliebrownbd.com. Until next week, cheers. Hey, thanks for taking the time to listen. Be sure to subscribe to the podcast so you never miss a tip. And remember, you can unapologetically be who you authentically are and still be wildly successful. That's a fact. See you next week on This Shit Works.